Thanks, Nelson. All right. Afternoon, everyone. It's good to be here. I don't have often get to be here. My name's Tim, if I haven't met you before, um, and I'm excited to be here today. Uh, today we're talking about money, but before we do that, I want to tell you about three very significant moments in my life. These, are, these, these stay with me. They've stayed with me over the years. The first one, this happened last year. I was walking with some friends in Newtown, and I saw 20 bucks on the ground just out the front of this nail salon. Uh, so I picked it up and I walked inside and I said, hey, I found 20 bucks out the front. But the problem was there's this small language barrier between us uh, and the ladies were like shooing me and I was like, this is outside, I think it's someone from your shop. And they're like, go, go, go. Uh, okay, well, sweet. Long story short, I got 20 bucks. It was pretty cool. The second moment uh, that was significant in my life happened when I was 18. I was at the beach celebrating graduating year 12 uh, and every year a bunch of year 12ers from the Central Coast would come to this beach and there'd be a bit of a festival, bands would play. Um, and so I was there with this big crowd and as I was walking outside the surf club, there was 20 bucks on the ground. And I picked it up and there was no way I was going to find the owner of this 20 bucks. Like there was hundreds of people around. Uh, and so I bought a margarita pizza with it. That was dinner for the night. It was pretty good. Uh, the, the last significant moment I want to tell you about, uh, this one was really good. This happened to me when I was in primary school. Uh, and I used to catch the bus out the front of this petrol station. And as I was walking to the bus stop one day, I found 50 bucks on the ground. Oh, There's 50 smackaroos right there. And my older brother, he said, you have to take that into the, the servo and you have to return it. And so I did, and the guy, the cashier there, was like just some dude doing his job. He could not care less that some 10-year-old found 50 bucks outside. And so I got 50 bucks. It was awesome. My little 10-year-old brain couldn't figure out what to do with 50 bucks. It was, it was amazing. And that's three significant moments in my life. Not the three most significant, but, <laughs> but I remember them. They're, they're really, they stick with me. If you were to ask me who my school teacher was that year, I got no idea. I could not tell you. If you asked me what my HSC results were like just after I found that 20 bucks, I got no idea. No clue whatsoever. I don't remember those things, but the money I do remember. Isn't it funny how money it impacts us? It has an effect on us. It has this hold on our life uh, that not much else has. We all need money to function in this world, right? You know, we need to pay bills, pay the rent, um, put petrol in our cars to get around, get food. But money is more than just something that we need, isn't it? It's something that we want. We love money. We want more money. We never think we have enough money. When we have money, we love spending it. Now, I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I just want you to realise that money is really, really important to us. Money is really important. And so it's no surprise that the book of Proverbs talks a lot about money. By my count, there's almost 100 verses in Proverbs that talks about money. Almost a hundred verses that talk about money, wealth, poverty, riches. Um, and don't worry, we're not going to go through every single one today. We're going to go through a handful. But it makes sense that Proverbs talks about how to be wise with our money. Because it's so important, not just to us 21st century people, but it is important to people almost at every time, everywhere. 
Now, before we get into it, I want to help us understand the distinction between a proverb and a promise. Because we're going to look at some proverbs that talk about how to get money. But it's important that we recognise that these aren't promises. So let me give you an example. Uh, A proverb that we often use today, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Yeah, we, we all get what that means. It's saying that if you eat healthily, you will likely be healthy. You will not likely get sick. If you eat an apple a day, you're not sick, so you don't need a doctor. Now, that's not a guarantee. It's not saying, as long as you eat healthy, you will never fall ill. It's just kind of recognising a pattern in the world. And the proverb taps into that pattern and gives us wisdom so that we can live wisely. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at these proverbs that help us see the patterns in the world. They're not promises. These aren't promises of wealth. They're just patterns. All right? Patterns can be broken, they can be different. That's why we sometimes see proverbs that say the opposite thing right next to each other. You got it? Promises are not proverbs, proverbs are not promises. All right, so what does proverbs say about money and wealth? What does it say? Well, it teaches us where it comes from, what to do with it, how to get it, and it teaches us its ultimate end. It teaches us its ultimate end. In particular, there are two things I want us to understand about money from the book of Proverbs today. One, wealth is a blessing from God. And it's a blessing that's best given away. Is this working? Woohoo! It's a blessing that's best given away. Thing number two, hard work leads to wealth, but seeking wealth is a fool's game. So firstly, wealth is a blessing of God that is best given away. Look at what Proverbs 10.22 says. Oh, and just so you know, I'm going to go through a lot of Proverbs, so I don't expect you to flick. I have them all on the screen, so they'll come up just like that. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's a blessing of the Lord. Wealth is a blessing. He gives it to us. It's a gift. It means it's good. It's not necessarily evil or wrong to have wealth. God gives good gifts and so we can celebrate and rejoice when we have been given wealth, when we have been given money by God. And God gives these blessings to, in particular, wise people. A couple of weeks ago, Dom was talking about Lady Wisdom and Woman Folly. Well, in chapter 8, Lady Wisdom says this, We are, well, sorry, with me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. You see, when one chooses wisdom, when one chooses to follow lady wisdom, when one walks in her ways, wealth often follows them. Wealth often follows. Now, if we think about it, wealth is a wonderful blessing that we need to be really, really thankful for. Um... I struggle with this. So, so see if you can see some of yourself in me. I struggle to be thankful for my wealth. And the reason is, I often compare myself to others. But I don't compare myself to others who have less. Right? I compare myself to others who have more. I compare myself to those who drive nice cars and have big houses, who can kind of buy whatever they want, whenever they want who can keep up with the latest trends, who can have the latest phone and the latest gadgets. That's who I compare myself with. 
And that makes me think I'm not wealthy. But I am wealthy. I live in Australia. It's hard to live in Australia and not have a certain amount of wealth. I've been given great wealth. When I go home tonight, I know that there'll be food in my cupboard. I know there'll be money in the account when I go do the grocery shopping this week. I have a place to go home to. I have a comfy bed to sleep in. I have expendable cash, so if I want, I can buy stuff. I can go to the movies. I went and saw a movie on Thursday. I could, just, I could go and do that because I have money to do that. Compared to most of the world, I'm rich. Right? And I'm not thankful for what I have because I look at others and I don't think I have anything. I've got to see the blessing that God has given me and I've got to be thankful for it. And so you might see some of yourself in that. Right? And we need to repent of our thanklessness. We need to repent for comparing ourselves to others and not seeing what God has already given us. Now, if we want to be further blessed... Right? Proverbs says not to hoard wealth, but to give it away. Look at 11.24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. The point here is pretty clear. The thing is pretty obvious. It's more of a blessing to give your wealth than to hold on to it. And remember, this isn't a promise. It's not saying give away all your money and you'll somehow magically end up with more. You might not gain materially from giving your money away. You might not get cash back, but you will gain. You will gain something. Wealth is a blessing from God that is best given away. Now, I'll come back to this giving away. I'll talk more about what generosity means at the end. This brings us to the second thing that I want you to understand from Proverbs. Hard work leads to wealth, but seeking wealth is a fool's errand. Hard work leads to wealth, but seeking wealth is a fool's errand. The most common thing that Proverbs says about wealth is if you work hard, you will generate wealth. But if you are lazy, you end up in poverty. Here's, here's, it's pretty clear in chapter 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. There it is. Clear as day. Hard work, not laziness, leads to wealth. I think we, we kind of all get that, right? What about this one? Parents, I, I know you're liking this because it's like ammunition to shoot at your kids when they're lazy. So here's another one for you. Chapter 14, verse 23, all hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Just kind of scheming about how you're going to make money, like talking about earning the big bucks at that job, or talking about your new idea that you want to invest in, or, or whatever it may be, but actually doing nothing about it, well, that, that's not how you're going to get wealth, is it? Instead, it's, it's the person who knuckles down and gets on with the work. They're the one who profits in the end. And, and we, we kind of get this, don't we? We see in the world that those who work hard end up with wealth. Think of Steve Jobs. I don't know if you know much about his life, but he started Apple in his garage. Not in his garage, his parents' garage. He had nothing, uh, but he started work there and he worked really, really hard over years and years and years. And he ended up being pretty dang rich. 
So we, we get that hard work leads to wealth. And there's stacks of other stories about people who work hard, who earn lots of money, and they can just, they live it up. They got plenty. It's not always the case, and we'll come back to that. But it's the pattern. It's the pattern of the world. And I think it's pretty easy for us to recognise the truth in Proverbs here. But here's the thing about this. Chasing after wealth for its own sake, it's foolish. It's a foolish endeavour. There are things far more important than wealth. We should be chasing after them instead. Proverbs over and over again says there are things better there's righteousness is better than wealth. The fear of the Lord is better than wealth. A lowly spirit, love, peace and quiet, humility are all better than wealth. But the thing it repeats the most, we see in chapter 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Proverbs over and over says wisdom is better than wealth. And so you have to be the biggest fool to go only after riches at the expense of wisdom. You must be the biggest fool to forsake wisdom just for some money. And so here's the tension that we live with in our lives. Wealth is a good gift. It's a blessing from God. And we know that hard work will likely get us there. But if we pursue riches then we're actually foolish. But there's a bigger reason why riches and pursuing them is foolish. It's because wealth does not last. Wealth does not last. Look at chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Yeah, there we go. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Or a vivid picture of a water cash growing wings and flying away just as you're reaching for it. Opportunities for wealth, they just disappear from our hands without us even knowing what's going on. That job that you were certain was yours just kind of disappears. That investment that seems so promising, it tanks. You find the perfect place to live but you're outbid and you lose it, seeking after wealth will wear us out and leave us with nothing. And this is the flip side of the hard work coin. Yes, there's Steve Jobs and there's Bill Gates and they started with nothing, they worked hard and they're rich. But for every one of those guys, there's hundreds of people who busted their gut and got nowhere. They wore themselves out and they have nothing to show for it. Because wealth, it does not last. It disappears just like that. But that's not even the biggest problem with wealth. That's not the biggest problem. Wealth does nothing for us after this life. Have a look at 11 verse 4. There it is. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, it's not a big leap here to see that the day of wrath is God's day of judgment. When He raises everyone from the dead and brings them into his courtroom and judges them for how they've lived their life. And on that day, your bank balance means nothing. Your investment portfolio does not cleanse you of your sin. Your amazing experiences, your travels around the world, your sweet mani-pedi are nothing 
to God. Only righteousness delivers from death. And money can't buy that. Your wealth does not follow you into the grave. It provides no security for you after this life. It brings no pleasure in the next life. All it does when we're gone is it rots and it decays. That's the ultimate fate of all earthly wealth. So seeking after wealth, in the end, is a fool's errand, and we are foolish to do it. But there's another kind of wealth. There's a second kind of wealth that never spoils, never perishes, that thieves cannot steal, that vermin cannot eat. You see, we live in this new gospel age, and with this new gospel age comes this new kind of wealth. And this wealth is not stored here on this earth, This wealth is stored in heaven. And this is our second point. So if you're following along, this is the new bank account. You see, there's this big problem with people. And it doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how poor you are. We all have the same problem that we are spiritually poor. We might have all the money in the world, but we're spiritually poor. We have nothing that on the day of judgment can bring us life. We have nothing. We have no righteousness, which is the only thing that can lead to life. But Jesus wasn't content with that. Jesus came to earth and he reverses our fortunes. Look at what Paul writes about what Jesus has done in 2 Corinthians 8. Wonderful. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich. Jesus lived in heaven with his Father. He ruled the world. He held it all together. He lived in glory. Yet for our sake, he gave it up. He took on flesh, which in itself is humiliating for God. But he went even further. He suffered death on the cross. And he did it all so that we could become rich. Not materially rich, not rich with cash, spiritually rich, rich with righteousness. When we put our trust in Jesus, he gives us all these good things. He gives us the righteousness we need for life on the last day. But he also opens up this new bank account. It's a new account in our name. And it's not filled with the Aussie dollar. It's not filled with experiences or security. It's filled with spiritual treasure. And when Jesus rose again, he ushered in a new age. When he came back to life, he said, now is the resurrection age. And that signals the end of this world. It signals the end of this age. We now live in the last days, which means all our wealth, everything we own, all our material blessing... It's used by date, is approaching fast. The end is in sight for everything we value here. This is what Jesus' brother James says about wealth in this age. In James chapter 5. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The end of all material wealth is at hand. And those who invest in the wealth here and now, when they're gone, 
Everything they've invested in just testifies to how they have not invested in God, how they have not invested in heaven. Their cash counts for nothing. And Jesus, he calls his followers to invest in the future. That's what we read in Matthew 6. I'll just pick out a few verses from Matthew 6 and read them again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus tells his followers to keep filling up their heavenly bank account, not to fill up their current one. We invest in heavenly treasure, and that investment is sure, it's secure, No one, nothing can take that away from us. So why would we invest in anything else? Why would we do it? Now, what does it mean to invest in heaven and not on earth? What does it mean to invest in that age and not this one? Well, this brings us to our last point on your sheets. Freedom from security and pleasure. Now, security and pleasure, they're both really good things. They're part of the blessing of wealth. You know, security and pleasure, uh, they come with it. God wants us to have them as he blesses us. But the problem is they can easily become idols for us. They tempt us to invest here and not invest in heaven. We're going to look at each one individually. So let's start with security. Proverbs 10.15 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. You see, wealth protects the wealthy. It gives us security. It's good to have financial security, especially if you have a family. Part of um, living in that family unit is to uh, help secure them. I know for me, for myself as a husband and as a father, I value the financial security that I have uh, and my wife works harder than me to bring this in. Um, But I value how God has blessed us with this kind of security. And for you, it may look different for me, uh, but usually when I think about financial security, I think about owning a home, uh, having some kind of investment, um, whatever it may be for you, whatever helps you secure your wealth here and now. They're wise and they're good things to have, but we can so easily be tempted to invest in them alone. We can easily forget that there's a new age to come that the new age has actually already been ushered in, Jesus has risen from the grave, and we forget that our security here means nothing after this life. And so security becomes an idol. If we're only concerned about this age, then financial security here makes sense. We'll do everything we can to be secure in this life. But if we have treasures in heaven, if we look to the future, the material security is not that important. It is good and it is important here, but it's not that important because Jesus has already secured our salvation. We're told that we've been sealed with the Spirit as a guarantee, so we can hold loosely to our security now. We can sacrifice the promotion that might help us get a deposit on our house. We can sacrifice a second income, that means we can invest more in our family or invest more in church and ministry. We can sacrifice sending kids to a private school so that we have more to give, more to sacrifice to gospel work. We can live dangerously with our money 
for the sake of the gospel, because our future is secure. We have ultimate security in Christ. What about pleasure? Again, pleasure is something good. Wealth brings lots of opportunities for pleasure. We can enjoy the fruits of our wealth, uh, and God gives us wealth so that we can do that. We can buy and enjoy new things. We can travel and experience the world. We can use our wealth to pamper ourselves, which clearly I do a lot of. These are all good things. These are the blessings of God. But again, they become idols if we're not careful. These are dangerous things, tempting us to invest in the here and the now. If you've ever thought about advertising, all their messages are pretty much the same. Slight variations, but pretty much the same. If you buy our product or buy our service, we will give you pleasure. We will give you the pleasure of having more time to enjoy with your friends and family. We'll give you the pleasure of being able to surf the internet uh, with that phone in your pocket. If you have these latest features, you'll be able to video call your grandkids over the other side of the world. If you have the latest fashion, you'll fit in with the crowd. In fact, you'll stand out from the crowd and you'll look amazing. If you go see this new movie, you'll be able to talk about it with all our friends and we'll fill that hole in your life. You will have pleasure. It'll be good. And oftentimes we, we see the ads and we can go, ha, I know what you're doing, but that's a lie. But the problem is advertisements come from everywhere now. The size of buses... Just they're painted with ads. Um, murals, have you guys noticed how like the murals around the city are now ads? I was scrolling through my Facebook feed uh, and I d- didn't realise but lots of the posts are now ads. Not quite half but a lot are ads and there's only one little tiny word sponsored in there to indicate that it's an ad. These things just kind of slip into our minds without us noticing. And so, eventually, we do start to believe the message. If we have X, Y, and Z, we will be happy, we'll be fulfilled, it will give us pleasure. And so, we think we need the latest iPhone, we think we need the new wardrobe, the new game, watch the new movie, the new gadget. We think we need to travel to that new hot destination. And at that point, we've become fools. We're investing in this age. We're seeking pleasure here and now. And we need to be freed of that. And the only way to be freed is through Jesus. If we have Jesus, we see him as our true source of pleasure. We recognise that all good things come from him. They're all gifts from our loving Father. And so we can be freed from that message from our culture. We are free to enjoy these things, but we don't need them. This means we're free to give thanks. And because we're free from earthly security and earthly pleasure, it means we're free to be generous and we're free to sacrifice. We're free to sacrifice. Instead of seeking security and pleasure, we ought to seek out sacrifice and generosity. Now, we already saw Proverbs say how generosity leads to prosperity, which wasn't a promise but it was a proverb, a pattern. The Apostle Paul picks up on this same idea in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The point here is that Paul wants people to carefully consider how they can be generous and sacrificial. And the blessing that Paul picks up here is not material blessing. If you are generous, you don't get money back. What do you get instead? You have all that you need. All that you need for what? All that you need to abound in every good work. If you are generous, you will grow in all that you need to honour God with everything that you do. It's amazing, isn't it? And Paul, he doesn't want Christians to give under compulsion or to give under some sort of, if you give, you will get kind of deal. He wants them to give cheerfully. Not because they have to, not because they want blessing, but because they are generous. Because they are generous with their money. Because they have a loose grip on physical wealth here and now. Because they are confident in their spiritual wealth. Now, who should we be generous to? Who should we give our money to? There are a lot of organisations competing for our attention for us to be generous to. And you know what? Sometimes giving money to mates and to family to help them out is a good thing. We don't have to give to a charity, right? Shouting your mate dinner. Oh, man, they love it when you do that. I don't know. People do it for me all the time. We can give to a bunch of charity organisations, and, and that's a good thing. There's, there's a bunch I can think of. One that comes to mind is Compassion. Compassion is an amazing organisation that as you give to them uh, and you sponsor a child, not only does that child benefit with kind of the things they need to live and gospel teaching, but the whole community that they live in, they benefit too from the work of the gospel there. And so there's a bunch of organisations, we need to be wise, we need to do our research and figure out how we're going to be generous to them. But even more important than those things, I think even more important than those things, is church. Is church here? Is the church that you call home? There's a proximity about the work that happens at church, which means we should be generous to it. As a member of the community here, It's your generosity that enables the work to continue. So give generously to SWEC. Now, if you're completely new to church, just checking these things out, I'm not saying you have to give to church this week. That's not what I'm saying. If you're still figuring out who Jesus is and what he means to you, then I don't want you to feel compelled to give. That's what Paul says, not under compulsion. Don't feel compelled to give. Instead, what I want you to think about is where you're investing. Are you investing here in this life or you invest in the future by trusting in Jesus as your saviour? If you have joined us recently uh, and, and do want to throw your hat in with us and do want to call Sweck home, but have not begun giving, then now might be a really good opportunity for you to think about how to be generous here at church. And, and it's not just about, what have I got in my pocket? I'll give that. Paul Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart. So this is about thoughtful, planned, careful giving. So go home and have a think about it. Look at your budget. If you don't have a budget, make a budget. Give thoughtfully, carefully, consistently, sacrificially. If you've been here for a while and, and you're already giving to the work here, 
We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for how you support the ministry here. If you haven't reviewed how you're giving in maybe the last 12 months or so, maybe the new financial year is a good time to reevaluate, to consider how much you are giving and what you give. Now, you, you may, your circumstances may change over time, right? And so you may have got a promotion and have more money and so you may choose to give more. You may be out of work and have less money and you may choose to give less and that's okay. The point is that you're still being generous, you're being sacrificial. That's what God wants. Now, let me leave you with this. When you're in heaven, if you trust in Jesus, you will end up in heaven. And when you're there and you're enjoying the treasures that have been stored up for you, you will not regret giving away so much money. You will not regret it one bit. The thing that you will regret is not giving away enough. At this point, I'm not just talking about money. You will regret not giving enough money, sure, but you will regret not giving up time. You will regret not making the most of your opportunities to share the gospel. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you got to heaven and there were so few things that you regretted not doing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You will not regret giving away your money. And so, Proverbs calls us to be wise with our money. It calls us to enjoy the blessing of God, and it is a blessing, it's a good thing. But Jesus shows us that ultimately to be wise with our money means investing where our treasure never spoils and never fades. Investing in spiritual treasure. Trusting that Jesus has taken you from being poor to being rich. How about I pray? Father God, we are so thankful that you sent your son, that when we were spiritually poor, Jesus made himself poor to make us rich. Father, please help us to be wise with our money. Thank you for the way Proverbs has called us to that and shown us your good blessings and shown us how good it is to be generous. Help us not to invest in this age, though. Help us to invest in the one to come. Amen.